What an awesome time of worship that was. Uh, this morning we are going to be in Gideon. And if you know anything about Gideon, a couple of buzzwords, at least at the beginning of the story, is weak and lack confidence. Uh, and when I was reading and I was studying, I was looking at these two words. I couldn't but help be reminded with these two words of my football career. Weak and lacks confidence. Um, there's a particular play that came to mind. Um, I, I come from a big football town. Like, that's where everybody is on Friday night is at the football game. And I was weak and I lacked confidence. And I finally got to go in. I was like, you know what? I may not play a lot, but when I go in, I'm going to make a mark, right? So I get in, and, you know, the play's kind of down the field, but me and this linebacker, we lock eyes, right? And I'm like, okay, we're just going to hit. That's universal language for we're just going to hit real quick. And he is charging at me full speed. And I go like this and set myself. And if you have even a basic elementary level of understanding of physics, a fast-moving object versus a relatively uh, still object, what happens? It's probably not good, right? So... Anyways, I'm flying through the air, and that's, I don't know if you've ever flew through the air for a little while, but it's really humbling. It's humbling to be in the air, um, and there wasn't a lot of people at this game because we were playing nobody, which is why I got into play, and I hear my dad and my uncle in the stands, and time was going still, and I remember my dad looked at my uncle and said, Ryan just got knocked out, and then I hit the ground, and I look at them in the stands after, and he's just shaking my head. I'm like, oh, no. I was like, now, not only am I weak and lack confidence, I'm going to get a talking to on that long car ride home from the high school uh, back to the house. Our athletes probably know a little bit about that ride. It's not comfortable, but it happens. I did not have confidence, and I was weak. And I probably wasn't the smartest because I didn't understand physics and I had to fly for a little while. So, but uh, this morning we're going to be in Judges 6 and 7 and we're going to be reading about Gideon, who lacks some confidence. Um, so Judges 6, 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land and as far as Gaza and leave no substances in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. Verse 5, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste as the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of the median. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Verse 7, when the people of Israel cried out, to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I lead you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you 
and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joseph, the Abizurite. A lot of big words this morning, guys. Um, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. There's a lot of confidence thing. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We've asked that question, right? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did the Lord bring you up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and gave us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Go in this strength that you have, right? To this weak man hiding in a wine press. He said, go in the strength you have. You might be like, what strength? That's fair assumption. And save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the, weak, the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So am I not only of the weakest clan, the weakest tribe, but I'm also the weakest in my family, and you're choosing me? God didn't ask him that, did he? Did God ask him, are you the strongest in here? Did God say, are you the strongest tribe? Are you the strongest in your family? He didn't say none of that. He said, go. How many times have we done this when we feel called to something? How many times do we look at what God is wanting us to do and we say, not me. I can't do that. Are you, are you, are you sure? Me? How many times have we done that with our calling? I'm, I'm not the best. I'm not the best for that. You sure you want me? He's not asking you that. He's asking you to go. God doesn't call us to get our stuff together to figure out our life. He calls us first to go. Go in the strength that we have. What you'll notice in life that God doesn't often call the equip. He equips the called. We see this in... The disciples. The disciples were all very qualified men, right? No? They were, they were fishermen. They were stinky and smelly and probably didn't have great social skills, but yet God used them as the great fathers of our church. Number, verse 16. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. Show me a sign, Jesus. Show me that you're calling me. Um, then as you who speak with me, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Verse 19, so Gideon went into the house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes uh, from an ephah, uh, like a six-gallon basket of flour, right? The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them under the terabith and presented it to him. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did. Verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And a fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. 
when I first read this, I'm not going to lie, I was like, is this the first Benihana in history? Like, this is cool, right? He has this fireside food going on. Um, and that was all the sign that Gideon needed. Verse 22, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, alas, O Lord, God. I need to use the word alas more. It's a great word. For now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. Uh, to this day, it still stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Asperites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal and your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did this. The Lord told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. There's our famous courage of Gideon, right? Here is your mighty man of valor, your hero of this story, cutting down the Asherah pole and pulling it down the altar of Baal in the middle of the night because he is afraid of the people around him. God has commanded him to do this. He's assured him to do this, and yet he still stands in fear. This doesn't seem like the most capable God to do this, right? He's still hiding in fear. After all this assurance, he's still hiding in fear. Um, are you sure this is the guy, right? That's, that's what I was thinking when I read this. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joseph, has done this thing. Then the men of town said to Joseph, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Um, the Israelites had begun to worship the local gods of the people that they were living amongst and wanted Gideon killed when he came and broke down the altars. Um, that's interesting, right? Um, you see how kind of backwards God's people had these people that were celebrated out of Egypt by God and delivered out of Egypt with God, and now they have already turned their back on the people and the worship of Baal and all these false gods. But this is one of my favorite responses in the Bible. Look what happens at verse 31. But Jasa said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend by himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Then Gideon asked for a sign. Verse Verse 33, now all the Midianites and the Aquanites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. There's some weird words in this, guys. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zubuan and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. Here we go. 
it's, it's game time meetings here with a bunch of soldiers from around the east. Gideon has compiled an army, um, which is kind of amazing to me that people would follow this dude. Uh, but he did compile an army, and we are ready to go. It is game time. Let the show start. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Um, if there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. I was frustrated reading this. I'm like, dude, you already had your sign. You already had your assurances. And now you're asking for another calling. He's already told you this and proved it himself. Remember, remember the first Benihana? He proved it with that, right? Uh, he's already proved this. He's already done that. Um, and yet... You're still asking for another sign? Man, that sounds a lot like us sometimes, right? We need constant reassurances from God when he has already clearly directed us to a place. Verse 38, And it was so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me just test once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on the, doing, and on the ground was dew. So this piece of fleece was dry. And everything around it was wet. So it must have been God. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing um, wrong with wanting to be sure of God's calling on your life. But at some point... He's just, he's just got to go, man. He's had assurances. He's had signs. He just needs to go. God is patient and he is kind and he is slow to anger and abundant in mercy. But we can't sit still in the name of seeking clarity when God has clearly told us to move. I think it's time for some in here to stop laying out fleeces and start fighting whatever the battle the Father has already been told us we will be victorious over. I think it's time to stop just sitting here and waiting on signs when God has told you to move. That's not obedience. That's just sitting there and waiting, right? When God doesn't call us to sit there and wait. When he calls us, he calls us to go out and move. Stop testing the waters of what God has called you to do and jump in. Let's continue. Um, in chapter 7. Then Jabril, that is Gideon now, and all the people who were with him rose early and a camp beside the spring of Herod and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved him. So you see what's happening here? God said, you have too many warriors. What? He was like, you can boast that you did it with all these warriors. I'm going to do something to make sure that I get the glory. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is filthy and trembling, let them return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 people returned and 10,000 remains. Okay, this makes sense, right? Send the scaredy cats away. They're scared. They're fearful. They're trembling. They're not going to do much good. They might desert, right? Uh, send them away. That makes sense, right? We can still make this happen. Uh, we still have 10,000 people. That's a good army, right? 
Um, let's continue in verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, there are people who are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped putting their hands to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With these 300 who have lapped, I will save you and give to the Midianites in your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. Verse 8, so the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained 300 men. So we're left with 300 men. And I know when I say 300 there's a movie that comes to mind with the Rip Spartans, right? Um, but these are not Rip Spartans. These are not your professional fighters. These are farmers. I doubt they have proper tools. I doubt they have really good training. But these are the ones that God selected. And those are the ones they're going to fight. These are tribesmen of a nation that was already being bullied, led by the weakest person in the weakest tribe of Israel. But this is what God wanted, the 300. The 300 who drank water like dogs. I can't get over that. That's awesome. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Verse 9, the same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down... Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Alchemites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore is in abundance." That's a lot. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joshua. A man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. This dude had an interesting dream about a loaf of bread that rolls over his tent like a boulder. And the other guy's response was, oh yeah, uh, I've seen that before. Like, how many bread-based dreams do you have, first off? Um, sounds like you might just be hungry. Um, he goes on to say that Lord has given victory to Gideon. These are the enemies of the Lord that are going ahead and foretelling of this victory. These are the people about to be destroyed. These are the people who don't even recognize the power of Yahweh, and yet God uses them to speak encouragement and life into Gideon. And with that, I tell you, don't put God in a box. 
God is not limited in power. God is not limited in how he can speak to you. God is not limited in who he uses to accomplish his purpose. There's evidence of that all throughout the Bible, right? Verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream as its interpretation, he worked and returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And then he does something really awesome right here. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for the Gideon. So it's not an army armed with, with weapons, right? He's armed with aisle seven at Hobby Lobby, right? All these guys, and they're going into this war, and they're going to fight an army that's mighty of them, that's trained, that's professional, and they're going to defeat them with just some jars of fire and some trumpets. Uh, let's see how that works. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars with their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands and the torches in the right hands, the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as... Uh, the shit towards zero, a lot of weird names, right? As far as the border of Albemiloa by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtila and from Asher and from all of Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messages throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Bethbara and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. Verse 25, and they captured the two princes of the Median, Orb and Zeb. They killed Orb at the rock of Orb and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Orb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. What a story. What ended with a man called by God hiding in a wine press ended with the enemies being defeated in the same wine press. What a story. The timid, doubting, cowardly man gets called to fight a war against a great army with 300 people who drank water like dogs and were under-equipped to say the least. Yet, in spite of everything, they were victorious. Gideon was a mighty warrior. He didn't act like it. In fact, at every turn, he seemed like the wrong person for the job. See, Gideon feared that his own limitations would prevent God from working. The reality and truth of this story is that God uses us in spite of our limitations and failures. 
Gideon didn't seem like a strong man of valor. He didn't think of himself as mighty anything, but God views you not the way you view you, right? God's view of you is not your view of you. Imagine what you would accomplish if you started seeing yourself the way that God sees you. If you started seeing other people the way God sees you. Imagine what you could do when you allow God to define you and not the world around you. Don't let it define you. Imagine what you could accomplish when you start to realize that God has gone before you to prepare the way for you that he is calling you to. God's not going to prepare you for a way that he hasn't prepared. He's not, he's not going to um, call you to something that he doesn't want you to be called to, right? He's not going to prepare that for you. Um, he is preparing you for a great work. And you might be saying, but God, I'm not qualified. But God, I'm just one person. I can't really make a difference. But God, the task is too great. But God, I'm not worthy. But God, I've done things that would absolutely disqualify me from doing this. I shouldn't be the one to do this. Look at my past. I can't do this. Are you crazy? I can't do this. But God, the task is too great. But God, I'm not worthy. But God, I've done things that would absolutely disqualify me. But God, I'm broken in my life. It's messy. And the enemy is great. But God is bigger than your enemy. He was bigger than the Midianites, and he's bigger than whatever you're facing in your life. Sometimes the only way to stand up to the enemy that you're facing is to stop standing. Getting down on your knees and releasing all control and fully surrendering is often the way to win the battle, and that's with God, right? When we relinquish control and we surrender, that's when the war is won. Um, I was listening to podcasts, and we uh, there's there's a lot of struggles with uh, vets coming to learn Christ, coming to know Christ, because they're trained to win a war through through plans and battles and and relying on themselves. So it's hard for them to see sometimes that when we surrender and give up control, that you win the battle. But that's what happened here, and that's what God does when we when we give up control. To God, he, he does some amazing things. Um, stop standing, get down on your knees, and release control. Let God do what God does best. Maybe it's time that you give up trying to fight on your own and give it to God. God is bigger than your enemy. At the end of the day, Gideon didn't even do anything. Let's look at it realistically, right? He broke some pots and he killed a couple of stragglers. He didn't win a war, but he surrendered to God and God took care of the greatest enemy of his day. With the Holy Spirit in us, we can have confidence not in ourselves, but in God that he will carry us through what he has called us to. In closing, if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God, I have really good news for you. God stands at the ready to do the same for you today because the greatest enemy of our day isn't some army. It's sin, shame, guilt, depression, anxiety, addiction, self-hatred, misplaced identity, 
It's time to stop fighting those things alone, right? Those are things that are too powerful to defeat on ourselves, but when we go with God, when we stop fighting and we surrender and we give it to God, that's how we win that battle. It's time to stop fighting alone. If you're in here and you have proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ and begin your relationship with God, my challenge is for you is to start moving. You like Gideon, our mighty hero, Jesus himself has called you to go therefore and make disciples of all nations and told you that I am with you always to the end of the age. He has not only called you into service, but also like Gideon, he has given you victory before you have even begun. You might be sitting here and you're thinking, I'm not really called to anything. And for that I say, you know, I don't know you personally, so I can't say what you're called to and what you're not called to. But I can tell you one thing. You are called to fulfill the Great Commission. You are called with specific orders um, to go therefore and fulfill the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As Christians, that is what we are called to do. Period. Right? We are called to fulfill the Great Commission. And we can do that. That's, that's, if, we, if we have that knowledge, we're not supposed to hide it under a bed, like Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew 6. We're to put it on a lampstand, show it signs light. If we have this light of Jesus in us, we are not supposed to hide it, but we're supposed to display it. That is our call as Christians. So why are we standing still? Why are we not doing that? Um, God may be calling you to specific careers, to specific relationships. That's you and him, but he is calling you into the Great Commission. And this is, this is one of the craziest things because, you know, I felt like real tugs when I've been out in the world. I don't know if you ever feel that, but you're out and um, you just feel a call to, show, to share Jesus with someone. I remember I was, I was actually driving around a church bus around the city where I spent many of my intern years driving a church bus around Charlotte. And I'm actually picking up 50 cheeseburgers from five guys. Not, not for personal use. I saw those looks. But for, but for a group of people. And as I'm getting back in my church bus, there's these kind of down-on-your-luck people in front of their car. And I, I, I'm hurrying to get in the church bus because five guys is going cold. And I just kind of like, just kind of go fast. And you know, like when you're in public and you know that someone's about to ask you something, you kind of hurry and walk past well, I wasn't fast enough. And they looked at me, and they said, hey, can you help jumpstart our car? And I'm in a church bus. And I was like, I don't have, I was coming up with excuses. I was like, I don't have jumper cables. Like, we have jumper cables. I'm like, I'm going to have to do this, ain't I? So I get there, and I'm like, oh, I just want to go. I just want to get these burgers to where they're going. I'm on a time crunch. And as I'm going, I'm like, oh, let, just let this go fast. Let's go fast. I'm just like, you know trying to hurry them along and help them. Then they're like, so do you work at this church? Do you go to this church? And I was like, yeah. And it was like, so what can you tell me about Jesus? I'm like, <sighs> I'm like these burgers are going to be late, but this, this is worth it. So I go and I tell them about Jesus, and they, they end up coming to church. But when we're out in public, we, we feel that call to go and spread that commission. We feel these calls to go do specific things in our lives, and it's not for us to stand still and hope the situation goes away, we're supposed to go. God doesn't call us to stand still. God calls us 
to go. And that's uncomfortable. I know it probably makes a lot of people kind of nervous that their calling is the Great Commission or their calling is this new job that honors God in a different way or this relationship that honors God in a different way that you should move on to that. And I know that's scary, but a lot of growth comes with being uncomfortable. And God doesn't call us to be comfortable. If you look in the Bible, does he sit there and does he encourage people to be comfortable or does he encourage people to be uncomfortable and to follow his call? It's not a lot of comfortable people in the Bible. There's, just look at the disciples. They didn't have comfortable deaths. They, they were mostly martyrs. Um, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to go. God will call us to do things that are sometimes out of our comfort zone. But those things help us. I know that God calls us to do things that we are uncomfortable with because I'm kind of living it, right? Um, I'm, every time you see me, I'm probably uncomfortable with what I'm doing. I'm an introvert. Uh, you may not know that by talking to me, but I don't really have an introverted life. Um, so he calls us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. Trust him. He has a bigger, better plan. So in closing today, it's time to step up. Step up. Show the light of God to people around you. Speak the light of God to people around you. Take that leap that you feel the Lord calling you to do. Follow him. And you'll be amazed at what he can do through you. When we, like Gideon, place our faith in God, put our trust in him, you'll be amazed at what happens.